0: We are continuing this week in our series entitled, The Seven Sayings of Jesus, Spoken by Him on the Cross. This is number five, I think, so there are two more after this. Let's pray as we begin. Father, we thank you this morning as we gather together in your presence that you know each one of us. No matter what we know about you, Father, I thank you that you know where we are in terms of our relationship with you. And so, my prayer this morning is that you would speak to each and every one of us those who know you well and have been in relationship with you for many years, and those perhaps who are not in relationship with you, who don't know you, who don't know Jesus. I pray, Lord God, that we would hear from you and that we would. Respond to that invitation of Jesus to come and drink, to drink of the living water that he has to offer. For his glory, we pray. Amen. This is not just a pudding, it is a melt in the middle Belgium chocolate pudding with extra cream. It's not just food; it's M and S food. Picture the handsome man searching for his beautiful woman through the streets of the big city. Watch their passionate glances between each other, the desire for each other, and the pain of being apart. The kiss as they finally embrace, and all played with a powerful ballad in the background. You too can have your dream relationship if you wear. Chanel number no. five. And then you see snow capped mountains and trees blowing in the wind, clear roads winding up the hillside. And around the corner comes the latest model of your favorite car. The drive is smooth, the interior deluxe. The corner is sublime. And whatever the weather, the car never slides. Advancement in technology. I can see your eyes are wide open with desire this morning. Your hearts are pumping with excitement. Your mind is relaxed with the hope of satisfaction. Advertis- advertisements are powerful. They are designed to convince us that we really need the product that they're selling, even if we don't actually need it. They will meet your needs and solve your problems. They'll bring happiness, satisfaction, contentment, life, success. And it can be all yours tomorrow with Amazon Prime. (laughs) Tomorrow is not quick enough, perhaps. Advertisements work because they arouse our senses and they promise to fulfill and satisfy. But do they? Do they always deliver? And if they do do they always last food is great but we get hungry again cars have good purpose and pleasure but one day they will rust and break down the scent of the perfume fades and the bottle eventually runs out there's nothing wrong with having those things and enjoying them they're good gifts from God But despite what the TV ads claim, they won't ultimately solve our solutions. They don't bring complete happiness and satisfaction. But it seems, doesn't it, that the world, and us included, are longing for something that will satisfy. We are thirsting for something. Water. Thirsting. It's one of the most important components of the body. Our bodies are made up of about 70% of the stuff. So is the planet. It's no wonder that the word to thirst has become synonymous with that longing and a desire for something that will fulfill, satisfy the cravings within our hearts. So if we all have a thirst, where do we go to quench the thirst? Where do you go to find satisfaction? This week I conducted a Dan Steele congregational survey and I asked several of you the question, where do you go to quench your thirst? Where do you find satisfaction? And it was great getting your responses, thank you, and they were much in common. We often go to, to entertainment through TV or film, technology and books, we play sport, have sex. But the number one area, I thought, where many people found, thought they found satisfaction and meaning was in relationships, whether that is in marriage or children or friendship, seeking approval from other people, having other people's praise. We look for it in the relationships that we have, or we imagine what it would be like in the relationships we long for. Again, relationships with people are good. They're given by God. But relationships can fail. People can let us down. Relationships come to an end. They're good, but they're not the place where we find ultimate satisfaction. But the Bible rightly diagnoses for us that our thirst for satisfaction in relationships and other things is because we have exchanged our finding of life and satisfaction in our Creator for the creation, the things that He has made. The Bible tells us in Romans 1 that we find ourselves out of relationship with our Creator and we're left with that God-shaped hole that we try and fill with all sorts of stuff that doesn't quite fit. If you were here a few months ago, you will remember that we looked at the episode in John chapter 4 where Jesus meets the woman at the well. And water and thirsting, obviously, is the big theme in that passage. We saw that this woman was trying to find satisfaction, meaning in life through relationship, through her marriages. She'd had five husbands The man she was then with wasn't her husband. And you will remember that Jesus confronts her about her situation, and in offering her true satisfaction, he uses this metaphor of water. Quenching thirst through living water. He says this, everyone who drinks this water, water from the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus wasn't talking about some magic holy water that he had. He was speaking metaphorically. Quenching our thirst for life is found in him. Think about that promise that Jesus is making. He's claiming that complete satisfaction, meaning, purpose, life is found in the person, in in Jesus. Is it true? Do you believe it? Maybe you're here this morning and you're looking into Christianity. Maybe you've been a Christian for many years, but you're feeling a bit thirsty Can Jesus really give that kind of satisfaction? And if he does, does it really work? How does it work? I want us to tackle those questions by looking at another place in John's gospel where he talks about being thirsty. And we've read it in John chapter 19. If Jesus promises to quench our thirst, how does he do it? Well, firstly, Jesus thirsts in our place. So we don't have to. John chapter 4, Jesus promised living water that we will never thirst again. And between John 4 and John 19, he makes more outrageous promises. I'm the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Amazing promises found in Jesus. But then in John 19, we see everything but life and light. You heard it read for us just now. We've seen in other Gospels in the last few weeks, it's doom and gloom. Jesus is arrested and attacked and he's got opposition from every corner of society. He's beaten and he's mocked. He's nailed to a cross. And he's dying in agony. And last week we saw that it was even worse because Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That spiritual loss, abandonment by his father. It's doom and gloom, quite literally, because now darkness has covered the land. That spiritual abandonment shown, manifested by no daylight. Jesus is nearly dead in our passage this morning. And so where is this living water that Jesus has promised? Has he lost control? Has he promised too much? He's gone too far. How will it be possible if he's dead? Let's read those verses again. Verse 28, John 19, verse 28. Later, knowing that everything had now been fulfilled and that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of a hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. We're going to be thinking about the very first line. Next week, when we look at the sixth saying of Jesus, it is finished, but that first sentence tells us that Jesus is in control because he's fulfilling Scripture. In fact, as you read through John 19, all of it, we see that phrase to fulfill Scripture four times the verse we saw today, but then also verse 24 they divided my clothes among them. Verse 36, we didn't read it, but verse 36 not one of his bones will be broken. Verse 37, they looked on him that they pierced. Fulfilling Scripture. John wants us to know that even though Jesus is dying horrific death of crucifixion, it's part of God's plan. It was meant to be. Jesus is supposed to die, and the truth is, it's through his death that we're able to have living water. How does Jesus then fulfill Scripture in his thirst? it's not the words i am thirsty that are the fulfillment but it's what happens next it's the response of the men who give him the drink matthew and mark and john all record this bit only john tells us jesus says i'm thirsty matthew and mark show us the action of giving the drink after jesus has said my god my god why have you forsaken me you might remember that from our reading last week That makes me think that Jesus saying, I'm thirsty, comes in between. It comes right after that saying of Jesus. And all the gospel accounts tell us that there was this jar of wine vinegar there, and they soaked a sponge in it and put the sponge on a stalk and gave Jesus a drink. Now, if you have a Bible, flick back to Psalm 69, page 584 in your Burgundy Bibles. Psalm 69. Verse 21, the psalmist says, They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. As well as some allusions to earlier on in the psalm and some allusions to Psalm 22 where David speaks about his mouth being dried up like a pot it's believed that this is the verse that's being fulfilled. But I don't think it's just some random verse that Jesus thought, oh, that's good, I could could fulfill that verse by saying I'm thirsty. That's not what's going on. But Psalm 69 as a whole is what's important. In the New Testament, but especially in John's Gospel, in somehow it's quoted or alluded to, Four times in John's Gospel, and always in the context of when Jesus is facing opposition. Opposition from his brothers who don't believe in him, opposition from the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who reject him. You see, Jesus, who is suffering at the hands of his enemies, was also David's original experience in Psalm 69. Some have entitled that psalm, The Righteous Sufferer. And surely there's no one more righteous. No one who has suffered more unjustly than Jesus. And as with Psalm 22, we saw last week, so Psalm 69 is about King David, but also points to a greater king, to his greater son, Jesus. Jesus jesus in his life his death his resurrection fulfills scripture god's plan scripture in the sense of specific verses like this but that are quoted and alluded to in the new testament but scripture just in the bigger sense of that the old testament is all about jesus it all points to him to his life it's it's modeled there it's illustrated for us it it foreshadows jesus the truth we see at the cross is that in his death Jesus the righteous sufferer suffers in our place what about John's gospel what is Psalm 69 how is it important in John's gospel well think about John the Baptist the beginning of John John chapter 1 we see John the Baptist says look Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is like the lamb, the lamb at Passover. Remember in Exodus? The lamb had to be perfect, without defect. And it died in the place of people. It died so they could escape the judgment that was coming. And so to Jesus, who is innocent, dies on a cross for sinful people like the Passover lamb, that they couldn't have any broken bones. So Jesus, John 19, had no broken bones. And other allusions that we get right there in John chapter 19, we see Jesus fulfilling scripture, standing in our place, thirsting in our place as he dies for us. Friends, the reason that we thirst for meaning, for satisfaction in life, is because we have a broken relationship with our Heavenly Father. And our quenching is found nowhere else except in Him. But Jesus, in His death, as we saw last week, He is now in that broken relationship. He's been separated. For us to experience living water, Jesus first had to thirst Physically in his body is he's exhausted on the cross, but thirsting spiritually is he's in that place, bearing the wrath, bearing the judgment, taking it on himself. So we don't have to, so we don't ultimately have to, away from God forever in hell. But that, of course, is only half the story. Jesus thirsts in our place. So we don't have to, but how do we drink? How do we drink of the living water? Easter Sunday. Jesus didn't stay dead. And the very next chapter, chapter 20, teaches us that he rose from the dead and he appeared to his disciples. He was alive. Remember, Jesus had said that he would Think about his conversation with Mary in John chapter 11. Lazarus was dead, and Jesus said to Mary, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though he die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And it's through his resurrection that this is possible. To drink the living water is to believe in Jesus, is to follow him, to trust in his death, His thirsting for us. After Jesus promises living water to the woman of the well in John 4, in John 6, he promises again that he who believes in me will never be thirsty. To drink is to know Jesus, is to be reunited, reconciled to our Heavenly Father through Jesus. Jesus. Of course, to drink the living water and never die, as Jesus promises, is a future reality for those who die in Jesus, but yet that eternity begins now. And although we will not fully appreciate the complete living water, we can still taste it and foretaste it. And so, if you are a Christian this morning, is your experience one of satisfaction, in Jesus? How is your spiritual thirst quenched in Him? This should have been a second question I asked you in the survey this week, but I, I didn't. However, a couple of you did answer my first question in this way, and I'm thankful that you did. The answer that came from, from you could be summarized with just enjoying the relationship with God through worship that time of communion with the Lord, whether on our own or together, knowing the presence of the Holy Spirit who is given to all believers, walking and talking with the Lord in prayer, drinking, listening to his voice through the Bible, praising God in song quenching comes through the relationship that ongoing living daily relationship that we have with the lord jesus and in john chapter seven jesus promises again a third time and he says let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink whoever believes in me as the scripture has said rivers of living water will flow from within them by this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him would later receive. Think back to the woman at the well. Jesus confronts her about her five husbands. Then she brings up this topic of worship, questioning her worthiness of of receiving it. As a Samaritan woman, she worshipped in a different place to the Jews. But Jesus says, believe me, a time is coming When you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kinds of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and truth. Spiritual thirst is quenched in our relationship with God. Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Are you quenched through your relationship with Jesus? This week I heard a few testimonies of people who have had their lives transformed through our relationship with Jesus. They were people who had been helped with their financial troubles through Christians Against Poverty, CAP, but who had also found ultimate quenching of thirst in Jesus. Take Becky, for example. I can't remember her real name. For this is a lady who grew up in a rough family she remembers as a kid the police raiding her house looking for her parents as a teenager she would quench her thirst through drink and drugs she was always angry and getting into fights and getting arrested and then one day she was taken to a local event run by a church and she found simple help with her financial de- um, issues. But more than that, she found Jesus. To her, Jesus wasn't just another drug to try and quench the thirst that would then fail her. No, through Jesus, she found everything a Heavenly Father, a Father that she'd not really had before, value, sacrificial love that no one had shown her, a new identity. As a child of God. Purpose for living life, hope for the future, a thirst quenched. But listen to this, not only hers, but through the radical transformation of her life, her grandmother and her mother and her daughter also came to know Jesus. And Jesus And in him, we find life and love and satisfaction and purpose and identity and all that we need for life. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 5, don't get drunk on wine. Becky was trying to find quenching for her thirst in wine. But instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Make music from your heart to the Lord giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only one that satisfies. And so when life is hard, and when you feel in deep darkness, remember that Jesus is the light of the world. When you don't know where to go or what to do, He is the way and the truth and the life. When you're hungry for meaning and for answers, feed on the bread of life. When you're lost and tired and near to death, hold on to the hope of eternal life. Next weekend, we are going to be spending 24 hours in prayer. We are focusing mainly on the Irving project and the Lord's will for that and praying that he would provide the building. But what a great opportunity for us also to drink of the living water, to spend time seeking God, personally but corporately as his people, (coughs) listening to his voice, praying for refreshment and help. What would it look like to have streams of living water flow? What would it look like on that final day when Jesus returns? Let me tell you about one more advert. It is appropriately a drink advert, and it's for Sprite. Thirst-quenching soft drink. The scene is a group of 20-something people just finished a game of basketball it's a bright sunny day they're tired and hot and thirsty one man opens his bottle of Sprite and he has a drink and then he walks down to the edge of the court and he does a somersault and instead of landing on the hard concrete he goes through to a beautiful swimming pool of water the rest have a drink and they too follow completely refreshed cool, clean in the water. Of course, the point is that drinking Sprite will refresh you like diving into a swimming pool. We all love a thirst-quenching drink on a hot day. Sprite promises extreme results. But it's only Jesus that will satisfy you like that. Last week, if you remember, Dan really helpfully showed us that after all the suffering and the death of Psalm 22, it ends on a high with life and with victory. And so too with Psalm 69. David talks about the suffering and the abuse he calls on God's judgment. But in the last verses of Psalm 69 say this, if you're still there, verse 29. But as for me, afflicted and in pain... May your salvation, God, protect me. I will praise God's name in song and glorify him with thanksgiving. The poor will see and be glad. You who seek God, may your hearts live. The Lord hears the needy and does not despise his captive people. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and all that move in them. For God will save Zion and rebuild the cities of Judah then the people will settle there and possess it. The children and his servants will inherit it, and those who love his name will dwell there. Isn't that the picture we have in Revelation 21? The final city, the new heavens and the new earth, and John sees it and he says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a beautiful bride dressed for her husband." He heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among his people and he will dwell with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost. From the spring of water of life. And then, five verses before the very end of the Bible, Jesus says, Come, let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the free gift of water of life. Do you believe that promise? Are you experiencing a foretaste of it now? Have you turned from trying to find satisfaction in life, quenching of your thirst in the things of the world that will never do it, and trusted in Christ, received his Spirit, the living water that flows within? A place where we can enjoy his presence, that we can enjoy the gifts of creation, we can enjoy the things in the adverts, We can enjoy them in complete freedom and peace and contentment because they're not our gods. And we can look to the ultimate future, the outpouring at Christ's return. Let me leave you with a, a story of a man walking through a desert on a hot, dry, very thirsty. He comes across a shack, inside it's dark and dusty but in the corner is a tap with a pump he tries the pump but no water comes out on the floor next to it he sees a jar of water it's it's dusty and lukewarm but then there's a note and the note says pour all the water into the pump and cool fresh running water will flow what's he gonna do he could have a drink it would, it would be a bit dusty and not very cold but it would be a drink or he could take a step and he could pour all the water into the pump and after much thought he decided to pour the water into the pump and he began to prime the pump squeak squeak nothing happened. so we tried a bit more eventually a little drop came from the tap. He kept on pumping and more and more water until there was a flow of fresh water. The man took a drink, many drinks. He filled all his bottles. He filled all the pots he could find in the shack. And on the bottom of the note, he wrote, it really does work. <laughs> Jesus came to die on a cross. He thirsted. pain of crucifixion he thirsted bearing the judgment of God that we deserve he rose from the dead so that we can have life everlasting life flowing water drink now but fully on that last day is that your testimony don't settle for lukewarm dusty water Trust the pump, Jesus, and find your thirst quenched in him. Let's pray. King David writes these words, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life my lips will glorify you i will praise you as long as i live and in your name i will lift up my hands i will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods with singing lips my mouth will praise you and heavenly father may that be our testimony in the Lord Jesus that our thirst may be quenched in him We long for satisfaction and meaning and purpose in life because we were born into a broken relationship with our Creator with you we thank you that Jesus thirsts for us so that we don't ultimately have to that he rose again so that we can have be quenched we can be filled with your presence of the Holy Spirit, knowing that water flowing within us. Father, help us in the, in the dry and weary, thirst thirsty times of life. That we would not seek to quench our thirst in creative things, but that we would seek and run to you. Please quench our thirst this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.